Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, as we continue to look at what it means to be a faithful minister. And of course, in the context, it's Paul speaking to young Timothy as he is starting his ministry, is in the middle of his ministry, and learning and growing. And as we look at this next text of Scripture, we're going to see a couple of do's and a couple of do nots that Paul gave young Timothy uh, to help him. And I think there are do's and do nots that we can all learn from and that we can all apply to our lives as children of Jesus Christ. So if you would, I'm going to go ahead and read from 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 11 and going down through verse 16. So it says, let these things, or these things command and teach. As we talked about these the last couple of weeks, uh, he was to teach the things that he was learning, that, that, he, that Paul was teaching him. And Paul, uh, Timothy was supposed to reiterate them and to live them out and to talk about them and command them and to teach them as he was going out into his ministry. So verse 12 is where we start a new topic for this week. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Uh, as we look at this, there are several do's and do nots. Uh, not necessarily in that order, not necessarily in that phraseology. But there are several things that we can do and things that we should not do in this passage. But first of all, before we get started, let's just look to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing upon this time in the Word. Lord Jesus... Thank you once again for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to look at your word. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. And I ask, God, you help us to learn from these things, that we may apply them to our life, Lord, as your children. And, Lord, help us all to be good ministers of Jesus Christ, Lord, uh, regardless of the context that we live in, where we're at. Lord, I just pray that we would reflect you well and uh, learn these things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, the first do not, we see right away in verse 12. It says, let no one despise your youth. In other words, do not let anyone look down on you. So we're going to look at these three key, at least three key words in this first verse, but not necessarily in the order that they are listed. So the first one I want to look at is the word youth. And some of you are sitting there, man, I wish I was youthful again. Well, this is not necessarily exactly how you might perceive this in your mind. You see, in this day and age, youth was, for the most part, anyone under the age of 29. So if you were under age 29, you were considered just a baby still. You're just a youth. However, it could go all the way up to age 40. Now, some of you are saying, I feel a little bit better about this now, because now I'm still youthful. But see, in this idea here, Timothy was probably in his late 20s, early 30s, and uh, he was still considered a youth. And uh, you have to almost presuppose something from the text here. And the very thing that Paul is telling to him maybe presupposes the fact that maybe he was a little bit bashful. Maybe he was a little bit timid. Maybe he was a little bit, well, you know, I'm not as old as some, but maybe, you know, bottom line is maybe I'm not quite there yet. And Timothy, and Paul is telling young Timothy here, wait a minute, don't let anyone despise your young age. And if I could jump on that just for a moment, we have a lot of young people who have the idea that maybe I'll get a little bit more serious later. 
And the problem with that idea and that uh, way of thinking is that later seems to never really come. God wants you to use your youth while you have it, right? Remember I said a couple weeks ago, I said, I feel like even though I'm not very old, I feel like I've already lived half my life, right? Theoretically. I mean, I've lived just a little bit more uh, uh, you know, days ahead than I probably have behind, but, the, but I'm still fairly young. But here's what I said. I want to use the youth while I have it, the energy that I have while I have it, to do something for the cause of Christ, right? So every one of us, regardless of where we're at, you, you've heard this phrase before, it's never too late to start doing what is right. Thank you. So it's the idea is that it's never too late to start doing what's right. So if you're not using the energy and the life that God has given you for His glory, it's time to start. It's time to get going on that. And some of you get the idea, well, you know, I've already served my time, I've already done this and that and the other thing, so it's somebody else's turn hogwash. You don't see that in scripture where you get an opportunity just to sit out because you've already done it for a little term. The reality is God wants us to use our energy and the youth that we have as long as we have it for his causes, right? So the bottom line is you can't stop. You can't quit. You shouldn't even slow down if you have the ability to go forward. You know, you do what you can while you can, as long as you can. And the bottom line is this is one thing that Paul was trying to reiterate into the mind of Timothy is to use the youth and the energy and the life that you have while you have it. I don't know about you, but I like a good rest once in a while. It seems like I kind of go, 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 then crash. Anybody else like that? You kind of just go, 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 then crash. You know what? I want to burn out for the Lord. I want to go forward for the Lord. I want to use it. So the first word I want you to look at in this passage in the first 12 is that no man despise thy youth. So even though youth might be up into age 40, the bottom line is this. Still give God the energy that you have. Still give Him the life that you have for His glory. And then it says, let no man despise. So the second, verse, or the second word in that verse I want you to notice is the word despise. And there's several things about this verse that really might be different depending on which translation that you are holding in your hands this morning. But it has the idea to look down on, to think less of you, or to think little or nothing of you. It means to, to, to disdain. He says, listen, bottom line is, it don't matter what anyone else thinks. You know, so many people go in life worried about what everyone else thinks of them. They go out and they think, you know, they, they can't do this and they can't do that because so-and-so might be there and they might think I've got this or so-and-so might think of this of me. And everybody worries about what everyone else thinks about them. You ever pulled up to a stoplight and the guy, you look over to the right and he's just going crazy. He's air drumming, singing at the top of his lungs and you kind of just chuckle. Anybody ever done that? Why? It's funny because you don't care. He knows he's probably never going to see you again. He don't care what you think of him. Or the other guy that's sitting there picking his nose. Yeah, we've all seen that one too. And he's just going at it knuckle deep. He don't care. He's never going to see you again. And he knows it probably. This is the idea. You know what God has called you to do. Do it and don't worry about whatever anyone else around you might think of it. Chances are, those people that you're worried about are not caring one little bit. And if they do, who cares? The bottom line is, we shouldn't be living life based on whether or not someone else approves of how I live my life, as long as you're living for God. And so he has the idea of, don't let anyone despise how you are using your energy for Jesus Christ. It's the idea that we're going to keep serving no matter what. And if someone else doesn't like it, oh well. 
Bottom line is, I'm going to do what's right. And here's the other thing you just need to remember. Just put this in the back of your cap and just remember it's there. When you die, and we all will, should the Lord tarry, you will not stand before that person that you're worried about. You will stand before God. And that's it. And the reality is, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 says, should, if I should please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I'm not here to please you, although I hope that I can. I hope that I can encourage you. I hope that I can lift you up. I hope that I can put a smile on your face from time to time. I hope that I can encourage you. But you're not why I'm doing this. Jesus Christ is. And the reality is, I will stand before him one day and not anyone else. So let's live life knowing that we're going to stand before him and him alone. And then no one literally means no one or no one thing should hinder you. No one thing should hinder you. Let no one despise or look down on, think nothing of, disdain the youth, the energy that you have because it's to be given to Jesus Christ. And then he says, so that's the first do not. Do not let anyone despise your youth. The second one is a do. Here's the first do that we see in the text. So it says, verse 12, but be an example to the believers. In other words, do this. Do be an example to the believers. And the word example literally means a pattern. And we all know what a pattern is. I'm not very good at following them, but I, I know what a pattern is. Marianne, the girls know what a pattern is. You have this pattern, you lay it out on, now I'm doing a hypothetical because I, I'm not, there you go. So just so you understand this. But you lay it out, you cut it out, and you have this design, and all of a sudden you're going to turn it inside out, stitch it, and all this other stuff, and I just skipped a whole bunch of steps. But you get it. Here's a pattern. I'm going to put it on something else. I'm going to trace it out, cut it out, and begin to build something off that. Make something off that. He says, your life is to be a pattern, an example. And then he tells us what kind of an example we're to be. And he goes on to give us several things here. So first of all, he says, in word. And let me just read this again. He says, but be thou an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, first of all, he says we're to be an example to who? Believers. One another in the body of Christ. In other words, we're all supposed to be living it out for each other and doing this together as one. So it's not the idea that some are going to do it and some aren't. It's not the idea that we're going to have a select few and then the rest of you don't have to bother with it. He says we're to be an example, a pattern to the believers. Why? So that we can do this thing called following Jesus Christ together as a body. So we're to be a pattern, an example, if you will, of these things. Um, just back a few pages uh, in the book of Philippians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, in chapter 3, I'll get my fingers to get there just for a second, in verse 17 it says this, Brethren, join in following my example. Stop right there. Don't, don't, don't read ahead just for a moment. Can you imagine having that audacity? Being that bold? That courageous? Well, wait a minute. Isn't that what he said? 
follow my example. And the only way that he could say that was because he was doing it. He was living it out. Isn't that what we should be also doing? Right? So he says, follow my example and note those who so walk. So we're to highlight those who are doing it. Right? Then he goes on and says, as you have for us a pattern. Hmm. There's that word again. Verse 18 says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. What's he saying here? Just as we saw in the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 4, there are those who are choosing to depart from the faith. But he says in this context, the flip side of that coin is, you're to note those who are walking rightly, so that we can follow them as a pattern in our own lives. And note those who are doing so, so that we can stay close to them, because once again, even in Philippians, there are those who are walking away. And we want to know what's right so we can stay close to the truth. Then he goes on to verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're not living for the things of this world. We're not living for the people of this world. We're not living for what this world has to offer. We're looking for that which is to come. So he says to do this, to be an example, to be a pattern. And first of all, he says, in word. And this idea here, it refers to the speech or how one talks. Wow, how one talks. I don't know about you, but I don't like how people talk sometimes. In fact, I don't like how I talk sometimes. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, That I may... Uh, that's not the right one here. Verse. Oh, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. How should we be talking? I'm convicted of that. Because when people irritate me, I want to respond. Maybe you're unlike me. Maybe you're more godly than me. Maybe you're more spiritual than I. But sometimes people just get under my skin. i got to let them know it. And it doesn't do me any good to those who are outside. And especially not to those who are inside. Says, let your speech always, not just sometimes, not just most of the time, but let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, back a few pages, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, it says this But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We're to speak the truth in love. How are we supposed to speak? How are we supposed to, what's our word supposed to be like? Truthfulness. You ever met those people who won't tell the truth because they're afraid they might hurt somebody's feelings? It's better to tell the truth in love. It's better to say something than to be disobedient. But he says to be an example, a pattern in our word. Then he says to be an example in our conduct. This refers to our walk. How is it that we are walking? In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 15, it says this. So see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. This is redeeming the time. How are we walking? He says you're to be an example in how you walk. You know, every day as you get up, as you go about life, as you do your thing, the bottom line is, he says, I want you to walk with, with uh, respect to me and how I want you to live. 
in Galatians uh, chapter 5 and verse uh, 16. He says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, walking in the Spirit. How many of us can say that we walk daily in the Spirit? You want to walk right? You want to be an example in your walk? You have to be filled with the Spirit. And that means you have to be emptied of the flesh, which is, man, it's so filling at times. We're so filled with the flesh. So filled with what we want to do and what blesses us and what gratifies us and encourages us. And that means we have to be emptied of that. Emptied of self. So he says, be an example. A pattern in word, in conduct, and then in love. In love, this refers to our interaction with other people. We know what this uh, Word of God tells us in the Gospels in both Matthew and Mark, well, several places. The greatest commandment is the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. Wow. Do we love our neighbors? Do we love those around us? Do we love those people that we come in contact with? Do we love those people that we work with? Do we love those people that are relatives? Do we love those people who are neighbor to us as we ought? He says, be an example in how you love. That refers to our interaction with the world that we live in. And by the way, God's Word tells us in John chapter 13, verse 35, that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by our what? Love for one another. Do we love? He says, be a pattern in how you love. And then he says, in spirit. And let me just say that some translations don't have this because they're not in this idea is not in some of the earlier manuscripts. But the idea of spirit here refers to our enthusiasm of people, how they see the spirit at work in us. Do people see the Spirit of God at work in us? When they look at us, do they see that God is doing something? Do they see that we have joy? Do they see that we are content with what God is doing? Do they see that we're striving to live for Him? Because it's evidence of the Spirit that lives within us. He says to be an example of that. Be an example of that. And then he goes, in faith. And this refers to our trust in God. We're reminded of the simple verse that's familiar to all of us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall what? Direct thy paths. Do we trust God? Do we trust Him? Are we trusting Him just in the areas that are convenient? Are we trusting Him in the areas that's easy? I mean, there's, I mean let's face it. I mean, we trust Him in some very easy ways, right? I mean, most of us <coughs> excuse me, don't, take, don't take for granted that we're going to breathe for the next 20 minutes. Yeah, I trust him that he's going to keep me alive. Most of us trust him that, hey, we're going to go out in our car and get it and drive home, and the car's going to get us there. We trust that. Most of us trust that when we go home this afternoon, our house is not going to have burned down in a fire, and our water heater is not going to go out, and our bed's still going to be there. We're, we're trusting for that. It's easy, right? The things that happen every day that we take for granted, we, that's easy to trust God for. But what about when your health is not so good? Is it, are you still trusting? Or when it looks like your job is going to be terminated because of, I don't know, electronics coming in or a new wave of new generation of people who are tech savvy and they're replacing your, your division with better and later equipment, whatever. Do we still trust God? Do you still trust God that you're going to be able to survive when you grow older and Social Security is not what you thought it would and retirement just is not covering the costs? Do you trust 
there's so many areas that are easy to trust. But what about when things get difficult? I believe Paul is reminding Timothy to trust him in those things too. But don't just trust in, in faith, but trust him and be an example of that. Now, we know that throughout Scripture that there are examples where they had to trust God, and they did that. But Paul was reminding him to be an example, a pattern for other believers to follow. And then he says impurity. This one's something that's fallen apart all around us. See, this purity refers to being pure in an impure world. You see, we live in a world that everyone's sexually active. Everybody can do whatever they want because it's their freedom. Everybody can live however they want because that's how they have the choice to do whatever they think they want to do. He's saying, I want you to live pure in an impure world. And be a pattern about that. We can look all around us, look at every other sitcom on TV, and the world just glamorizes being in a relationship without being married. And being active without being married. And that goes directly contrary to what God's Word says. So the bottom line is, he said, be an example in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. For how long? How long should we do this? I mean, as long as it's convenient? Let me jump on one more part on that last point. I remember several years ago, there was one of the familiar uh, pop culture music artists, one of the Jonas Brothers, who wore a purity ring. And he made a big point about saving himself till he got married. And then a couple years later, the media... Secular media began to, to notice that he didn't have his ring on anymore. And so they had an interview with him, and he says, well, I changed my mind. He goes, well, you claim to know Christ. You claim to know that this is what Jesus wanted for you. He goes, yeah. He goes, I changed my mind. You see, folks, here's the idea. God's word is not up for debate on whether it's a smorgasbord of what things you choose to obey or not. God says obey this, all of it, not just parts of it. And the reality is, God wants us to be an example in this area to one another so that we can encourage each other, one another, to keep doing what's right. If not, we'll end up like the first part of 1 Timothy 4 where some will depart. And why do they depart? Because be, they're being deceived that, bottom line is, I can do what I want. No, you can't. Not as God's child. You have to follow His example and His word. And then he says, so the first do not is let no one despise. The first do is to be an example. The second do is to give attendance to or devote yourself to. Be absorbed in. And we see this in the next verse here. Let me go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says in verse 13, he says, Till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Three things that he wants us to be especially keen on being aware of. So he says, Give attention to. It's the idea of being devoted to, being absorbed in. Uh, that's why I like reading through the Amplified every now and again because it gives so many adjectives of what one word means in the Greek language. But the idea of being absorbed in this, being immersed in it, three things. First of all, it says the reading. And this refers to both private and public proclamation of the Word of God. So guys, 
women, children, teens, we have no excuse but to be in God's Word. He says, pay attention to it. Give, atten- give attention to it. Devote yourself to it. Be absorbed in it. Be immersed in reading God's Word, both publicly and privately. In fact, over and over, you see that this was something Jesus said. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, you find Jesus going into the temples and pu- publicly reading the Word, right? So, and then Paul gives an example of it a little bit later. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 13, verse 15, uh, he goes and he's publicly reading the Word. Why? Because it had an effect on those who heard it. And if you will immerse yourself in God's Word, if you will be devoted to it, it will have an effect on you as well. Um, Some of you know I've been taking some master level courses online. And one of the classes I took was on evangelism. And uh, I was spazzing a little bit, to say it lightly. Um, anybody say that as you, or understand that as you grow older, your mind's not what it once was? They had the audacity to assign three verses a week. Okay, three verses a week is not bad. That's fine. Until you get to the midterm where they say, now tell us every one of those verses that you've learned for the first eight weeks. Now type them out verbatim. Are you insane? I'm sitting there going, and for, for a week, I'm, I'm freaking out over this. I'm like, I can't, re- I cannot do this. I cannot do this. I'm like, I got this piece of paper everywhere I'm going. And when I didn't have my paper, I got, I got it on my phone. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I got my PDF there, and I'm learning the verses. Man, for a week and a half, I was freaking out over these verses. I got to sit down and write like 20 verses or whatever it was, all from memory with no helps. I thought there was no way in heaven I was going to get that done. I did it. But here's the deal. Why did that happen? Yes, there was a fear of failure. (laughs) There's a fear I was going to get a bad grade, but I don't want. But it happened because I immersed myself in those verses for a week and a half. You see, when we immerse ourselves in the Word, it changes us. I now know 16, 20 different verses that I didn't know before a little bit better. And something I didn't think I was capable of doing, I did. But it took time. It took immersing myself, being devoted to it. We're to read it. And in Luke and Paul, I mean Luke and in Acts, we see the examples of those who went before us and how they were in the Word. And he says, give attention to this till I come. I don't know when Christ is going to come. Maybe some of y'all got the corner of the market on me. I, I, God's Word says no one knows, but there are those who think they do. But bottom line is, I don't know when he's going to come. And I don't know when I'm going to die, so I don't know when I'm going to meet him. But he says until that happens, we're to continue being in the Word. And then he says the second thing, exhortation. Uh, that's encouragement via preaching and teaching. So it's exhortation. It's application of the word to everyday life. Let me read just a couple of passages here. Uh, In Acts chapter 13, verses 15 through 19, it says this. So after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then people stood up and 
motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt in the strangers in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he he distributed their land to them by allotment. What's he saying here? So he stands up and he read the word. And what was the word that he's reading? What God had done. And because of what has taken place, he said, this is what God is going to do. You want to know what God has done in our life and before we existed? Read God's word. You want to know what God is doing? Read God's word. You want to know what God is going to do? Read God's word. Because it will change your life. It will change your perspective. And so we see that it's the word of God that changes us. And God uses it to mold us, to make us, to give us direction, to help us go forward as his children. In uh, Romans chapter 14, in verses uh, 4 and 5, it says, Who are you to judge another servant to his own? Oh, wait, that's not it. Yeah, it is. 14.4. Who are you to judge another servant to his own? And master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will made to be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I don't know. I got the wrong verse. Uh, let me look real quick. I apologize. I don't know. I typed it wrong. Hebrews 13.22. Excuse me for that faux pas. 13 verse 22 says, And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. He says, I want you to listen to it. The exhortation, it's for a reason. It's for a cause. Bottom line is, he says, until I come, give attention to, devote. And then he goes, number three, to doctrine, the teaching of truth, mentioned at least 22 times in Paul's pastoral epistles. Over and over, time and again, he says, I want you to be immersed in this. I want you to devote yourself to it, give attention to it, till I come. And then he gives us a second do not. We see in our passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says in verse 14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. (coughs) The gift. He says, Do not neglect the gift. And I believe this refers to the gift that many saw in young Timothy to preach the word of God. You see, even from a young age, there were those who saw something in Timothy. And that wasn't to be overlooked. It wasn't to be excused. It wasn't to be dismissed. There was something about Paul's life that those who saw him affirmed that God was going to work in and through him. And Paul, being one of them, says, Timothy, don't don't not only just let people despise your youth, but you better not neglect the gift that I've given or that, that has been given to you, and being a proclaimer of truth. Um, many saw this. In fact, it says right there in the verse, it says, that was, which was given to you by the prophecy, which is laying on the hands of the presbytery. In other words, the presbytery, those who were in ministry, those who were walking with God, who laid hands on him and said, we see this gift in your life. Don't waste it. You see, I think there are a lot of people around the world that we live in that are wasting gifts that God has given them. Have you ever 
As you get up in your upper years, somebody, somebody will mention a name and not the most pleasant of thoughts will come to your mind. And they say, wow. And in your mind, you kind of don't say it out loud, but you think, wow, they could have done so much more. They could have accomplished so much more if they would have only. And they've wasted their life. You know, but by the grace of God, you don't get back the years that you've wasted. But God can take where you're at right here and now and make something of whatever you're willing to give Him right now. We start off by saying it's never too late to start doing what is right. So the bottom line is you can pick up where you're at and start bringing glory to God if you're not. And start using the gifts that God's giving you if you're not. But don't waste what God has given you on selfishness, on doing what we want to do, on living for selfish gains. So often, we miss opportunities, we miss blessings that God wants to bestow upon us because we're not willing to give, his, give our life to Him and to His service. It's a passage in Romans 14 in verses... I'm sorry, 12, verses 6 through 8 says this. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What's he saying here? If you have gifts, use them. Use them. Don't be selfish. Don't think, well, God doesn't want to use you. Yes, He does. He really does. But you have to be willing to give it to Him. You have to be willing to say, God, here I am. And if you're not willing to do that, well, then you're going to miss out on some opportunities and some blessings that God wants to bestow upon you. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it says, As one has received a gift, minister it, to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Isn't that awesome? As each one has received a gift, minister to it as a steward. You know what a steward is? As God's children, every one of us in this room are stewards. Because everything you have is His. Not just the physical things, not just the material things, not just the things that you can see, touch, feel, taste, but everything that you have is His. He's allowed you to be a steward of it. So a steward takes care of and manages those things that are not His. So He says, you have gifts, steward them well. You have abilities, steward them well. You have wealth, material goods, steward them well. In all things, you're to be a steward of the gifts that God has given you. So, he makes it very clear. Do not neglect the gift. And Timothy was to take that to heart and apply it to his heart and his life. 
And then he gives us a third do. And we find this in the text once again. He says, Meditate on these things. Do meditate. I think meditate has two things about it. Number one, it's a foreign concept to a lot of people. We live in such a fast-paced world. We can read through the Psalms and we see the word Selah and we just speed right through it. And Selah specifically says to stop and wait a minute. Just to think about it. Ponder what is being said. Just to meditate. I think it's Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. It could be wrong, but it says, Stand in awe and commune with God upon your bed. Something to that effect. He says, before you even get up, before you even start your day, before you ever plan anything, just take a minute. Meditate. The other thing that we think about meditating is often, well, that's something that, you know, other people do. They're into yoga, or they're into Buddhism, or they're into whatever. They meditate. We don't meditate because we're Christian. Meditate. Read through those verses. As we talk about reading God's Word, someone says, well, how much do I have to read every day? If I'm a child of God, how much, do I have to give it like you know, ch- five chapters a day? Do I have to read through the whole book? You know, By the end of the month, do I have to read through the whole Bible in a year? I often say this, read until God speaks to you. If it's one verse, read that verse and think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it over and over and over again. Because if we're just reading for reading's sake, we're getting nothing out of it. God wants us to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. So when we're reading and what God is saying to do, we have to do it. And sometimes that requires us to think it through and see how we can apply it and what this means to my life and how I apply it to what I have to do tomorrow morning and throughout this week. So he says, meditate. has the idea of being immersed in the things that I've told you. Why? So that your growth may be evident. That's one of the things he says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. Ephesians, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, he says this. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. As they're reading through, as he's sharing his life, it, it, it furthered the gospel. Get immersed in the Word. You want the Gospel further? You want people to know the truth? You want to know what God's doing? Read. Apply it to your heart and your life. Make it part of who you are. Bottom line is, he says, till I come. Give attention to reading, exhortation, doctrine. Don't neglect the gift. Keep using it. And then meditate. The things that you've learned, the things that I've said said to you, Meditate on them. And then one final one. The final or fourth do from our text here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, not only meditate on these things, verse 15, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all and take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. The final fourth and do is to take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them. You will save yourself and others. What's the idea here? The bottom line is not talking about if you read the Word of God, everyone's going to get saved. It's the idea that by you living it out, you're going to point others and some to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll have the opportunity 
to influence, to impact, to have a, um, a life that you're living impact another life for the cause of Christ. Over and over he talks about this in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. It says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. He's saying be faithful. Take heed. Be faithful to it. 1 Corinthians 16.11, he says it again. But here's the point. In fact, let me have you turn to Philippians chapter 2, the final passage I want you to look at. Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let me close with this thought. God must work in us before he can work through us. Did you get that? God must work in us before he can work through us. If you're not walking with God, he's not going to be able to use you as he wants. If you're not spending time in God's Word, He's not going to be able to use you as He wants. If you're not walking in obedience, He's not going to be able to use you as He wants. Bottom line is, over and over, He says this. Be faithful to what you know. And He gives us the idea of what to be faithful in. In Word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, purity. Over and over, He says, give attention to these things. Why? so that God can use you and have an impact on the world around you. We're to model this inside the body of Christ, but we're also to model it as we go out from the body of Christ. But He will never work in us or through us until He works in us. And that requires us to surrender our lives to His. We live in such a world and a culture that says, it's your life, you can do whatever you want with it. It's mine. And that just screams the exact opposite of what God's Word tells us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, what, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have a God, and you are not your own? So therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are His. You've been purchased with His blood. It's not your life, it's His. And over and over, Paul is encouraging this young preacher, Timothy, to take hold of all these things. And can I just say this? Everything that he was to take hold of was for the purpose of what? Edifying the body that he was ministering to, right? So what he was learning, he was teaching to his congregants, his listeners, his parishioners, his people that he, had, well, he was ministering to. So if it was good for Paul, and Paul was mentoring and coaching Timothy, and Timothy was teach the church, don't you think all these things are good for you and I as well? Amen? So the bottom line is, it's not a passive Christianity that he's calling us to. It's not passive Christianity. It's active. And by the way, from God's Word, and the Word that lives within us, in spirit, as we looked at in the middle of the text, it refers to the Spirit being seen through us as we live. In other words, we shouldn't be pessimists everywhere we go. 
Who wants to spend time with a pessimist? Not me. I don't want to spend people time with my time with people that want to drag me down. And man, have you ever talked to someone they never have anything good, positive, or right in their life? You should have joy. You should have joy. Because God has done some remarkably awesome, incredible things through your life. And if you know Him as your Savior, it started there. I don't know about you, but I don't care whether you're in that youth range of 29 to 40 or under, or if those years are behind you. No matter where you're at, start today to do what's right, to live for God, to put Him first. To be an example, a pattern for those in the body of Christ as well as those that are out. To give attention to reading, exhortation to doctrine. To not neglect the energy or the gifts that God has bestowed upon you and has allowed you to be a steward of. To meditate and to take heed. The bottom line is we have so much to live for. And if you know Jesus Christ, you ought to be living for Him. Let's pray.